Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, I've got a great guest all the way from the 80s, from some of the best movies that ever has graced our screens. We've got Keith Coogan. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. Hello, everybody. And I hope everyone's well and having a great day. I, I You know what? I'm sure they are now. They're watching you. Um, so... How is everything where you are at the moment regarding uh, the pandemic, the craziness? Uh, whereabouts are you located? Is it LA area? Yeah, in Los Angeles, uh, California. And uh, uh, it is um, basically the same lockdown we've had. I know that we've gone in and out of having indoor dining for restaurants. Uh, some personal services were allowed for a bit, but um, pretty much for the last 10 months, Uh, It has been, um, you know, there's nothing open. There's no bars. There's no restaurants, no movie theaters, uh, any, you know, obviously any social gathering thing, no concerts. Uh, They've also canceled all autograph conventions across the country in the U.S., uh, you know, just a precautionary measure. Um, And uh, it is, it's tough. I I know that most of the people in Los Angeles are, are pretty social beasts. And I don't think, you know, as as stepped up the usage of doing the uh, video to video conferencing, I know Zoom really became huge at the beginning of the pandemic, um, that uh, there's still something about seeing your friend and giving him a hug and going having a pint. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. You know, it's going to take some time until there is some. Um, a comfort level with the public that uh, the uh, pandemic has been uh, managed and is under control. And uh, and like you said, it does tend to affect those um, that are older, uh, mm-hmm. pre-existing conditions. Um, and, and it's also highlighted an underlying uh, systemic health problem that a lot of the first world countries have in mm-hmm. a rich uh, sugar and fat diet that can lead to diabetes uh, smoking, um, pollution levels that can degrade the lungs, upping uh, that um, there's a receptor <clears throat> that COVID's taking advantage of that expresses itself differently in different population groups, depending on race, regionality, age, and lifestyle choices. So um, this is just everything I've gathered, and nobody knows nothing. <laughs> what we do know is let's keep a 10-foot pole going here, and um, it has had an upside in other uh, uh, cold flu viruses have been nuked. And that's mm. fantastic because I know those took a great number of lives in the past. So if we can get this um, under control, uh, you know, there's nothing uh, positive or good about the pandemic. Um, but what is good is, and I grew up in the poor part of Malibu, um, there is a poor part, tracked homes. You're not really that close to the beach. <laughs> uh, you share get one little private beach with 190 other homes. Oh, heathens. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, 
we'll get through it. Uh, Malibu had a lot of fires and earthquakes and floods and, you know, ocean stuff and mudslides. And uh, neighbors always came out of the woodwork. You're like, I didn't even know who lived there. And they're helping you fill sandbags or move horses or something like that. Um, like Mr. Rogers said, uh, you know, whenever there's calamity about, um, look for the, the, the people doing good. There's always someone yeah. there to help. Um, and so, yes, I hope that there is uh, just some coming together because right now we need it. We don't have that kind of physical touch and um, we'll get there. Definitely, definitely. And to be fair, the states have ha had their ups and downs. I mean, you've had your forest fires recently. Um, you've obviously yes. got the Trump and Biden with the old Capitol building, uh, which, um, again, I... To, to be fair, I don't know much about politics. Um, I, I wouldn't know what a Republican or a Democrat Neither is. Neither does anybody in this whole country <laughs> or Washington. So politics, the root of the word politics is polls. North Pole, yeah. South Pole, positive, negative pole, like uh, in mag magnetics. Um, and it's, uh, by its very nature, it's, it's incredibly divisive. It's bicambrial. Good, bad, heaven and hell, up, down, yes, no, hot or cold. Um, and there's really no gray area in between. There's one thing I know about the 380 million people that live in the United States is we're a big bag of gray area. We are the melting <laughs> pot. And mm. to kind of pin anybody as a whole or a singular, as a group, there's plenty of groups. My high school alone had like 20 different groups in the end, a car group, a bowling group, a singing, you know, those little like clubs, I guess it's called. Yeah. Imagine how many clubs there are in politics. So uh, politics themselves are uh, are distracting. They're a way to find a Hegelian dialect, define it and find a middle ground that we can then legislate off of and kind of look to each other and go, good idea. No, good. No, you don't like that. You like that. You don't like that. Um, in the United States, it's not necessarily mob rule. We don't have populism. We have a very slow, adjudicated way of of changing anything or, or moving it. It's been working fine for 240 years or whatever, 247 years. Um, and it is still an experiment. It's the youngest form of government that, or no, yeah, it's the newest form of government that's lasted the longest. Mm. Uh, there's been other forms of government that people have tried. And for this experiment, um, it has uh, demonstrated, and then certainly in different times and ways, uh, socioeconomic power, economic power, military might, um, its benevolence. It's the largest you know, country that gives on the planet um, and the largest country that takes in the most immigrants. So mm. America does a lot, um, and it is... Uh, Total helicopter parent overburdened and losing their mind in the Starbucks line right now. I said two sugars. <laughs> so, well, you know I what? I just hope needs, America I... needs like a two week retreat, some ayahuasca, yeah. and they'll be fine. <laughs> and I just just hope in four or five days, when that big event happens in Washington D.C., everyone behaves and just gets on with it and just accepts the fact that Biden is in now, Trump is out. And let's see what, what, what happens after that. But at the end of the day, we've got each other. Uh, as long as we're healthy and uh, we keep fighting the fight forwards, everything should be uh, rosy. So uh, before we talk about your wonderful career, um, I've got to say happy oh, birthday wow. for a couple of days ago. Uh, Thank you very because, much. Because um, you were 
Are we allowed to say your age? You're looking good of for your age, I'm, to be I'm fair. I'm 51. 51 years old. We had, um, was it our SAG president? Uh, I think it was Gabriel Carteris was uh, pushing for Internet Movie Database to not publish the ages of actors and actresses. And I understand the P.T. Barnum kind of, you know, you could act under a fake name and you want to create a different kind of background maybe um, for that character you're playing. I have a pseudonym. I have a, a nom de plume, if you will. I have a stage name, Keith Coogan, um, but not my birth name. Um, so it is, uh, I don't know, it, it, the age thing, I think it should be up to everybody. Um, we have the one of the only countries that have a uh, First Amendment um, free speech guaranteed in its constitution. Actually, I think it's the only country on the planet with it. Okay. Um, and that has always been tested kind of here and there. Uh, and then we have a Second Amendment to back up the First Amendment. And it just kind of goes on and on and on. What Really, we have a lot of things that say what the government can't do, yeah. which is kind of the idea of the Constitution and the reason that the new country was formed. I, I, I know you had a crazy guy, King, at the time. And there was problems with King George and things like that. So is it fair to me to label your country as a whole completely insane? No. You had a leader that couldn't <laughs> handle it. was overstretched. Too many... <laughs> Spain's attacking them. They're at war with Dutch and the French and God knows who else. Um, yep. Now our colony is rising up. About 13 colonies are rising up? Oh, crap. Send the whole Navy. Oh, a couple <laughs> other navies responded? Oh, okay. George Washington. We trained George Washington. God damn. So on and on and on. I'm fascinated with the Revolutionary War, and I think Hamilton was a great way for people that didn't know much about it to see it kind of yeah. dramatized in a way that is exciting and helps you understand it. But I, I, I found out your age not through IMDb, but from Ooh. your wife's blog. Um, yes. <laughs> some lovely photos on... Com. Yes, and, yes. Uh, so... I am 51. 51. And you're coming up to eight years years marriage, is that correct? Yes, seven years, October 26th. So uh, coming up later this year will be eight years. Eight years. Excellent. So you're going to get past the seven-year itch. And how is life during this pandemic with the other half? Um, are you, well, have you been all right? Oh, no arguments? No, we got Netflix, Hulu, um, uh, Disney+. Plus. Uh, Showtime, HBO, <laughs> the Apple Plus, Amazon Prime. We're all set. We're watching everything. We loved The Queen's Gambit. We loved um, Teenage Bounty Hunters. We've uh, There's so much great television right now. It really is the, the golden age of television. My wife and I promised each other that we would smack each other if either of us said the golden age of television. But, um, <laughs> but it is. But I, you know but I suppose it... If the internet goes goes down, you'll have to start speaking to the wife. Um. <laughs> a friend of mine, Pat, he goes, it was a few weeks into quarantine, and he goes, 
apparently this blonde woman sitting next to me on the couch is my wife. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? There was an Australian uh, presenter that was saying that, that during the pandemic, he noticed this woman in the house coming and going and then actually realised he'd been married for seven years. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I suppose there's some positives. So showbiz for you, Keith, has been in your blood for so many years. And you must be so, so proud to have a grandfather like Jackie Coogan because uh, what a man he seems to, 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 to have been. I mean, to start off, you know, Charlie Chaplin going through, then going into the Navy and it just, just his career is just unbelievable. Uh, what was he like from what you can remember growing up, knowing that he'd done all these marvellous things from, from the Adams family to the kid? Yes. Um, uh, quick correction, Army Air Corps. Uh, it was prior to Sorry. Air Force Force. No, 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 no problem. Um, and uh, he did a lot of troop movement in the glider. It was the uh, Chindit campaign, taking General mm. Wingate behind enemy lines in Burma. Um, and he had done... Uh, hit, my great-grandparents were in vaudeville, uh, Jack Sr. and Lillian Coogan. And uh, my grandfather was born in... On, in a trunk on on the road, basically, uh, of a vaudeville tour. And so was raised by stagehands and performers and show folk and quickly took to the stage. It was vaudeville tradition at the end of the show. If you had a child with the troupe um, that had any talent, skill, uh, singing, dancing, uh, monologue recitation, I believe my grandfather could do a monologue from Inherit the Wind. It was amazing. At four. Um, they would perform it. If they couldn't, then they would just play a patriotic song and have the child carry an American flag at the end and finish. This is like, there's a setup for vaudeville um, and a kind of order of the acts. Uh, there's a whole history of vaudeville that's just amazing. Um, and uh, so apparently after Chaplin had lost his uh, Mildred, it was with the Mildred marriage and they lost a young son and he was very depressed. I think it was like four days after he'd lost the child. Someone recommended that he go see the Coogan Act uh, downtown L.A. at the Orpheum. It'll cheer him up. And he went and it was to see my great grandparents. Uh, and my grandfather, great grandfather was an eccentric dancer. And you can see him in two reelers with uh, Buster Keaton and um, uh, Fatty Arbuckle uh, doing this kind of eccentric dancing. He usually played a heavy uh, and my great grandmother was part of a two for sister sister act that would sing like duets. And a two for is the second act in vaudeville. You usually have an opening act and then to um, prepare the spinning plates or the dog act or something elaborate behind the curtain, you drop the curtain and you have a two spot, which is like a Laurel and Hardy, two guys doing patter, a soft shoe number or something that can be done with no props and no stage behind it. So my uh, great-grandmother was a sister act, but it wasn't her sister in the act. It was another woman. So um, my great-grandfather then came out on stage at the end of the night and did, uh, in Los Angeles at the time, this is 1919, the shimmy had been banned as obscene in the clubs. So um, my grandfather come to see a four-year-old boy do the shimmy, though, <laughs> is entirely charming. <laughs> and Chaplin, I believe, had already done A Dog's Life, which is a primer for the kid. He'd uh, been percolating the idea and finally saw the child performer that might be able to do it. 
and then immediately approached my great grandmother who said, no, you can't talk to my you know, child alone. They're like, this is Charlie Chaplin. She's like, I don't care who it is. <laughs> so Chaplin arranged some time to work with Jackie and saw that he was a great mimic and could just do it. And Chaplin loved his fellow cast members to um, do it how he envisioned it. And Chaplin would usually pantomime it out. Here's how I'd like you to do it. And then his troupe of actors, basically Commedia dell'arte troupe with a big heavy, an ingenue, um, they would then do what Chaplin had asked. And my grandfather could do that, no problem. He was born to do that. So the kid was an international uh, success. And Chaplin's first feature-length film, combining comedy and drama. Uh, and it was also post-World War One, and the world needed an orphan to adopt. And my grandfather became the world's first film child star. There were regional film stars. There were child stage stars. But at this point, it hit global as the kid. Um, the great thing about silence films, you could just take the interstitial cards and translate them into any language. And so it was released in every country that had a projector. And at that, mm -hmm. so then that background with him growing up, uh, losing his father in a terrible car wreck, um mm -hmm. killed everybody uh, in the car uh including junior durkin his co-star in the tom sawyer huck finn films um he married betty grable lost his money to my great-grandmother who'd remarried the business manager they created the california coogan act the child labor law that protects kids earnings divorced betty grable joined the army air corps fought in uh world war ii came back played a series of heavies started doing television and then got the Adams family. And, you know, he was five when the kid really was being done. And here he is at 50 playing, you know, this grotesque awesome. on a TV show. And uh, I'm 51. So I'm actually older than my grandfather was when he played Uncle Fester. <laughs> and um, so, and then I'm not even born yet. So I'm born into a household where this is all backstory. And it's also known that if you hit a point in your career it doesn't mean there isn't a cycle somebody else has to become hot mm. later you can't just stay hot forever so for maybe a year or two you could be top box office you gotta you know you can't you gotta learn how to kind of move on with that my grandfather uh acted until you know he died he loved it um i so then I'm born and I quick at four I'm watching the TV and I say I want to be on TV and my entire family is <laughs> you know my mom is a gas and uh, I start in commercials and TV and uh, ooh what's that <gasps> nuts um, oh I'm I'm intrigued now what is it <laughs> it's, I believe it is a is that an assortment of um, snacky nuts no <gasps> it's a right pack of coffee. Oh! Oh, yes. coffee. Yes. French yes. roast. 100 <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, babe. That's amazing. You're a master at that Amazon, aren't you? <laughs> Life is Amazon now. Now with this pandemic, literally, we're making that guy the richest man in the world. You know, all the time. Um, so, so what sort of advice did 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 Jackie give you, give you if he gave you any? I mean, obviously you were quite young, so I mean, what sort of advice did he give you? Watch your money and be careful of mothers. 
<laughs> and how was he your mom? Uh, my mom was great. Uh, she Good. would help me prepare. My grandfather uh, never, ever gave me acting advice. He did, you know, he, okay, he did teach me shtick. He taught me the double take or, you know, the pratfall or he uh, taught me a bit more by example, not like he was really giving me lessons on it. Um, and mm. then my mom saw, knew that there were different styles of acting and realism and, you know, being broad and what, when something might be needed, you know, for commercials, you want to be really big eyes and, oh, wow, that's the most delicious whip topping I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> for drama, you might be, you know, a little more um, just let the eyes do all the talking. Mm. Uh, uh, but in a more subtle way. So um, she helped me. She coached me and helped me prepare and always insisted it was an elective. If I didn't want to do a part or go for an audition more, once you signed the part of the Coogan Act did guarantee um, some of the revenue for children that work in the entertainment, 15%. But it also codified that it's a legal signature. In California, if you're under 18, you contracts aren't enforceable you can't sign them um but the coogan act actually said oh oh you want us to treat them like employees and adults and like human beings fine now they're beholden to a contract so if they sign a contract for five-year contract they can't back out of it without financial repercussions right. um you're expected to act like an adult and perform as an adult and get paid as an adult then um there's that trade-off uh, so he, uh, no, he would never give me acting lessons or anything like that and would watch. He, he passed away in 84. So I had done nine years of television, I think, mm -hmm. uh, and worked up from guest appearances and, you know, but about a hundred commercials, movies of the week, after school specials, uh, pilots, a couple of television series. And, um, he did never saw me do a feature and I know that was his, he always put features as kind of the top art form. I don't blame him. I think features are a great format. Um, although we've seen television with feature type production talent in front of the camera, behind the camera, delivering eight hours of television or 10 hours in a short format, you know, short limited run series mm. that blow away many films uh, in terms of effects and production value. So his idea that, film is supreme to TV <clears throat> certainly being challenged now so I didn't get Adventures of Babysitting until I was uh, 1686 so he he did just miss it but he was very proud of me but also very um, hmm, well you're not still not as big a star as I ever was <laughs> <laughs> bless him well you can certainly say he didn't have a quiet life um, but one of your first um, features I suppose is The Fox and the Hound which is a wonderful film, which is one of my family's favourite, I've got to say, and you play young, young Todd. What I wanted to ask you, this has always fascinated me with animation. Do you record the voice first and then the animation afterwards, or do you have to lip, like, lip sync to the animation? I haven't got a clue. Yes, no, uh, traditional cell animation, they... Uh almost 100% of the time do uh, record all of the dialogue first, even if it's a scratch track, just so that they have something to do the keyframes for the animation. Um, 
and there's instances where they will dupe a, a film um, like Akira and they will make an English dub. So obviously you're recording the voices after it's been animated. Mm. Uh, but that's rare. Usually, yeah, you do all the voices first and that way they can form a radio play. They can make an 87 minute long radio play with the five songs. It's funny. Fox and the Hound qualifies as a musical. It's like somebody over at um, Disney said, Hey, how many songs do you need to qualify as a musical? And somebody goes, five. I think at least five. Okay, that's how many we'll put in the Fox and the Hound. We'll put five songs. <laughs> um, and uh, it was, I don't remember, and neither does my family, uh, how the audition process happened. I remember I was auditioning for Hanna-Barbera stuff and other voiceover things when I was younger. Uh, keep in mind, this was 78 when I got it and started doing the voice. It was eventually released in 81. And it took a, a while. We would do some voices, and then they'd wait six months, maybe a year, bring uh, us, and I say us, me and Corey Feldman, back because Corey Feldman played the Hound. Uh, and uh, it was delayed. Don Bluth left Disney, took half of the animators with him, and formed his own production company. That delayed Fox and the Hound's production. Um, and it was still in my family. I hadn't done a feature because it was only animated and my face wasn't on camera. <laughs> um, they're very, very tough, but you know, I was aware that it was a Disney animated film. This is, uh, um, it, it just, I knew that it meant a big deal and that, that it may not be held up as high as snow white or lion King, but it does have an emotional impact on those that do watch it. So a lot of people hold that, uh, dear in, dear in the heart, as do I. I think it's a Turing test to see if you're a robot. If you do Definitely. not cry during the Fox and the Hound, you're a cyborg. Literally, I cry at near enough every single film. If it's got an animal in it, that that is it. I know something bad's going to happen, and I'm going to end end up crying in front of the kids. Um, so so, how did your mom? Because obviously, you did so many things when you were younger. You was on near enough every show out there. How did your mom keep you grounded? How does she keep you in line and not, you know, bring that diva out in out of she you? She would look me in the eye and go, you're grounded. And then I couldn't go anywhere. Uh, I did a lot of chores around the house. I did had to keep you have to keep your grades up to get a work permit to work in film and television if you're underage. And mm -hmm. so it's easy. It's a C average or better. And that I was getting A's and B's. Um and uh, I had a lot of set tutors. And uh, with the Coogan Act, you get three hours of private schooling a day on the set. That eats into the amount of time you can be in front of the cameras. So usually they shoot around and shoot the adults line. And then they bring the kid in after they've been in the school. Um, and uh, she would just say, this is, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be in the business. It's a total elective. You can do it or not do it. Uh, if you're going to do it, here's what it takes. The training, the work, the preparation, um, the patience, the diligence, the um, the balls. Let's just call it that. Uh, trying out for parts you weren't asked to try out for. Like, oh, we like you for this, but you know what? I kind of like this part. Can I read for this? Well, it, and you do it anyway, and then you get the job. Balls. Uh, hearing about a, you know, a studio audition and you don't get an audition so you hop the studio fence and you go sign in anyway and then you go to network for it um i'm only upset we never got that one um so my mom was very um aware of the rules but also aware when 
there might be a chance to kind of subvert them a bit um, if she felt it would be uh, that I might be right for it. I don't know. Or ready. She also was like, mm. nah, you're not ready for this. I'm like, what? She goes, nah, <laughs> you, you know, you have a little further to go. I'm like, wow, okay. So, you know, I just kind of <laughs> rolled with it. Yeah. I mean, did you notice any uh, pressure um, when you were grow- growing up working in the industry? Did you feel any pressure? to uh, you know to get parts and to actually do the job <laughs> not till later when i was uh, we bought a house when i was nine um in malibu and uh after i think my grandfather died in 84 i didn't really work that much that year it was tough on the whole family and uh consequently it didn't really focus on you know booking a lot of jobs uh, until maybe uh, early 86 as I picked up some TV work like uh, Silver Spoons and Growing Pains. Bless you, honey. Uh, just the 10 of us. Um, so uh, that there was a pressure during that time, I felt, to pay the mortgage. Um, yeah, sure. But um, I had bleeding ulcers. My mom denies it now, but I remember going in and drinking the barium shakes and, and taking you know oh, upper and lower GI, like x-rays and uh, trying to figure out why uh, I had so much stress. And I just think it yeah. was knowing, you know, that uh, neither of my parents had like a regular gig and that uh, the income was kind of dependent on me. Remember, I as a child, you get to keep 15% of your money, which was mm. more than that was kept, 100% really. But I also paid, I didn't do a percentage for my mom as a business manager. I just paid her a, a monthly salary. Uh, very fair. All the other kids in my business that had parents as managers, those parents are taking 20%. My mom came nowhere near taking that. Um, At best, maybe 5%. Um, And so uh, we were working together. It was like a team thing, you know, as a momager. So, yeah, separating the percentage and just making it salary um, was kind of an interesting move. Yeah. so that's yeah that's that time and also then later after let's see toy soldiers and don't tell mom and book of love came out in 91 um a lot of the uh, mainstream movies and main big studio movies kind of eluded me after that did a lot of art films and low budget and kind of fun exploitation movies a karate movie a surf movie a uh <laughs> a big giant snake movie and uh so still you know enjoying being on screen and in the process i just love being on set i love working with the team the other actors and the behind the scenes you know uh i miss that process so hopefully and it's changed ever since the um covid19 pandemic you know how you make movies and tv has Mm. uh, changed screen actors guild uh move very fast to come up with protocols that would uh, keep it safe on sets i think every set needs a tom cruise and i think it'll be fine Shouting at everyone. Uh, <laughs> I heard, well, the one story I did hear a long time ago about Tom Cruise that I loved, and also J.J. Abrams was, and this points to just how driven he is, and I could see how that driven drivenness turns into Christian Bale just verbally murdering a cameraman who walks in front of a light. Uh, for Tom Cruise, it was that they were going to do Mission Impossible 3 or 2 or 4, or I don't know, one of them. And... Um, they wound up calling each other one night 
He goes, I heard you got the deal. Yeah, I got. I'm on the move. I'm on the movie too. And he goes, Well, we should get together and kind of talk about it. And he goes, Okay, let's let's do it right now. He goes, What? An hour later, and Tom Cruise is at J.J. Abrams' doorstep, and they crack the wine and stay up all night and break story. And uh, I just like, and I I kind of learned from that. Not that you know, I take other things from Tom Cruise, just his discipline in, you know, other things. But that yeah. uh, someone goes, hey, we should make a movie. I'll go, okay, let's do it. When? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't wait. Oh, I don't do it know. now. Panic. <laughs> so let's talk about Adventures in ba- Babysitting. Probably my wow. all-time fa- favorite movie. I th- I think it's fantastic. It never ages. Um, no matter if you watch it now or when when I was a kid, it still has got the same effect. It really has. And what an amazing cast. Eliz- Elizabeth Shue, my yes. first crush. When 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 I was young, when I, when when I watched it, I was fascinated by her. Um, what was it like filming that? Because it was Chris Columbus's first debut, you know, movie, and obviously he's well known for Gremlins and the Goonies. Um, what was it like being on set? Because you'd already done quite quite a lot of things, so you're a bit like a veteran on on the set anyway. What was it like to to be with Chris and the cast, and what was oh. that whole experience like? Uh, it was uh, bittersweet from day one because I knew that it was going to be an amazing experience. I knew that everyone was just top of their game. Um, everyone's cast and in position behind the camera for exactly the right reasons and all on the same page. And I knew that three months after we started filming, it would be over and we'd have a premiere and maybe see each other here and here. You live where? Chicago? You New York, you, where, uh, you know, are we really get Toronto? You know, a lot of our cast were from all over. And I already knew I was jaded at eight. I knew that there would be little chance, especially if it's a hit. Um, I knew Elizabeth Shue was going to blow up after Karate Kid. And uh, there, there was no way that from what I saw on the set of Adventures of Babysitting, watching dailies, we were all allowed to watch dailies, which was great. Um, that... Uh, that she'd be busy. <laughs> There'd be little chance yeah. to kind of hang out after that. <laughs> so I just kind of slipped it in as it happened. Uh, so it's, it was it was bittersweet, and it truly played out that it was wonderful. It was it was you know technically difficult to shoot with really being in cars, and there was little climbing on buildings. There were some cute camera tricks we did for that, but it was physically rigorous and cold and rough, and a lot of nights and a lot of you know in car and driving and you know boo hoo hoo. Um, it was a blast to do. Um, and you know, there's another 10, 20% of little, little details and things that we put and put in the background and put here and think it out. There was things that were missed. Uh, Sarah's skate left in the car came as a continuity error. They go, Oh, we, we were supposed to leave the entire backpack in the car. And there's a shot of Sarah with the backpack we shot after and we can't reshoot. And they went, change it to the skate. And they did. Uh, There's like so many different (laughs) things that happen as you're going. And it was just handled by the best people. It was cut quickly together. We shot January to March and it was released July 4th weekend. Wow. That's an insanely short amount of time to put together a movie on film. Um, But Touchstone Pictures had a assembly line of editors and post-production and um, audio engineers and PR and marketing, uh, Silver Screen Partners, 
which was the Silver Screen Partners 3, which was the finance company behind Touchstone Pictures for a chunk of years in the 80s. The most successful film development fund ever. It was a 600% return on your investment. Wow. And our former president, George Bush Jr. sat on the board of that company. Um, and it, they just had a great formula. Make films for $10 million and under with, you know, great stories, high concept, family entertainment. Touchstone was a little bit more of an adult brand than Disney movies. And they hit it. They hit it with Stakeout and Outrageous Fortune and uh, Ruthless People. Um, and they hit it. They would have two or three hits a year making a hundred million ours was maybe more modestly budgeted and maybe did 36 million, but it was still um, financially successful for all those involved. <laughs> and they don't make movies like that anymore, which is shocking to see, you know, it's, it's a pity that, you know, they didn't do a sequel. I know that they've done a series on the Disney channel for adventures in baby babysitting. I haven't seen it, um, but apparently there's a series that's taken from Avengers in Babe Sim. I'm so sorry, Brian. You did break up. Sorry, no. I was just saying it was a pity that. Yeah, you got me. It's it's a pity that they didn't do a sequel uh, for the movie. But now there is a series that that is taken from the film that is uh, on the Disney Channel. I haven't seen it. Um, I should should get my girls to watch it. Uh, but I'm waiting for them to get a bit older so I can slowly introduce them to films like so, Adventures in Babysitting. Excellent. Uh, the uh, They did try a uh, series uh, shortly after the original film came out on CBS, maybe. And it was uh, star Jennifer Guthrie, Brian Austin Green, and um, Joey Lawrence. And uh, uh, Courtney Peldon as uh sarah and the kids got involved in a hold up at a 7-eleven then they escaped to the sewers where they're chased by a giant alligator the pilot aired at three o'clock in the morning on a friday and nobody ever saw it and it was never picked up the um the uh head of the disney channel um was coming up on their 100th disney channel original movie and was a huge fan of the original Benson babysitting but he had an eight-year-old daughter. And he says, there's no way I will let my eight-year-old daughter see the original Adventures of Babysitting. But what an idea to remake it uh, for families. So the Disney version, it's a feature, by the way, not a series. The new Adventures of Babysitting on Disney is great for all ages. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> but it's not so the you original. you can expose them to it. You, if you're safely, you can expose them to it. It's very fun. And it was the reason it was made. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So out of all the filming lo lo locations in your career, um, which has been the best location to film in? Because I've got a feeling it's probably going to be Africa, but you tell me. Oh, what's wow. your favourite um, place that you've gone to film? Funny, I, I went towards uh, British Columbia, uh, specifically Vancouver and uh, Whistler for uh, Cousins, 21 Jump Street, uh, and Downhill Willie. Um, I love British Columbia. It's a great film location. 
uh, and uh, has now gone out of trend for Atlanta, Georgia. I have not worked mm. in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, working on uh, the Cheetah, which is rated G, you know, Disney Buena Vista release um, made for kids. Uh, we worked with cheetahs and uh, hippos and rhinos and giraffes and zebras, and it was uh, phenomenal. We used mostly local talent, shot actually in Kenya, uh, Tanzania, uh, and the Masai Mara. It was um, a five-week shoot, 30-day shoot, directed by Jeff Blythe, who had famously directed Circle Vision pictures for Disney, like uh, journey to china yeah um so he was second he also shot the helicopter footage for the shining which was also used at the end of the studio cut of the blade runner so he i i just was blown away by jeff Blythe, and he had a challenge of doing a film on an exotic location with children and animals so he did not think that he could do it in 30 days. He goes, there's no way we're pulling this in in 30 days. He just did work under too many circumstances. He didn't know that Nairobi had a robust history in challenging film productions. Like, um, uh, what was the Sheena queen of the jungle? Yes. And, yes. Uh, sadly, we've just lost her. Yeah. She just passed, passed away. Sheena. Yeah. Yep. We also had uh, out of Africa, uh, mm. and uh, tons of great uh, film shot there with, local cast, and also British expats who were former Royal Shakespeare Company members. They're in everything. You do a movie <laughs> in Kenya, boom. They just say, here's the five people you're putting in this movie. <laughs> and they're wonderful. Um, so the Cheetah, we actually shot it on time. We shot it in 30 days. And Jeff Blythe made a bet with the grips and electricians. He said, if we actually finish this in 30 days, I will shave my beard. And he had this nice kind of graying full beard and mustache and um he reneged we did it they had to do a little pickup in downtown nairobi on an afternoon and he goes well i don't know technically it's a half they pinned him down and they shaved his beard off when he uh, returned home he uh had left his infant daughter newly born infant daughter at home with his wife and when he returned home um his daughter didn't recognize him because of his beard he'd never she'd never seen him without his beard as she was alive uh so yeah that was the story on it we, we pulled it off i don't know how we did it they built they took speed rail and built dolly shots inside of range rovers and working with these cheetahs the cheetahs were actually from the san fernando valley in southern california there were animal actors trained in california <laughs> two of them a brother and sister pair to play the the cheetah in cheetah Wow, so they flew, flew the cheetahs over from the States to Africa. That is so mean, and I presume they, they took them back again. <laughs> They're probably looking around going, yes, oh, what's, what's all this place? Yes. This looks nice. And a pack of greyhounds uh, is a part of the plot. Our poachers get a hold of the cheetahs and race them against greyhounds mm. at Nairobi Downs. And because uh, the key is, yes, cheetahs are initially quicker than the greyhound, the greater the greyhound has a longer stamina and running power so they make it enough furlongs that the cheetah will tire the greyhounds will overtake and they will make an enormous amount of money betting against the cheetah the thing is the kids show up and cheer the cat on and the cat wins the race and then the mob 
tears apart the poetry. So it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie. It really is. Um, so let's talk about, obviously, the kids of the 80s, you know, these child actors and this supposedly, you know, this curse that is supposed to hit all child actors of the the 80s. I mean, sadly, we've lost Corey Haim, um, you know, as well as uh, River Phoenix, uh, as you know, quite quite a few stars that that made it during the 80s. Have you got any insight on on, on why this this is happening? To I mean, we had Joey Kramer that was from Flight of the Navigator uh, on on the show recently as well. And, yeah. you know, h- how this pressure that these young actors have contributes to this sort of, sort, of, sort of spiral. I mean, did you see any of this sort of, sort of thing when you were young? Uh, I, uh, wow, that is an interesting question. I saw everybody handle it differently. Mm. Um, there are, uh, I'd say it's just a microcosm that is expressive of of the whole of the U.S., um, as many instances as there might be of uh, harm to children in the industry or uh, excessive abuse of drugs and alcohol after the love is gone and the cuteness mm-hmm. has worn off, um, if anyone could have prepared me for that better than the first child star, Jackie Coogan, I don't know. He, you know, he warned me. He goes, it is cyclical and you're not going to be famous after you're famous. <laughs> mm. um, and so to see other people get famous and then lose it and then lose it. Um, and so it does, it hurts when you're not as popular as you used to be, but you still have that. And why not make that foundational and try something else or new or different or grow instead of trying to, say, I need exactly that career back. It's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> and so self-medication is a popular form of handling things in Hollywood. And also you're talking about the 80s where excess and cocaine and sexuality was being pushed on everybody through this new evil MTV. I'm just kidding. Um, move into the early 90s, you have, you know, Tipper Gore and the P- PMRC uh, uh, uh you know, well, these lyrics, these explicit lyrics and music is causing a ruckus. Um, and so that's where our First Amendment in the U.S. constantly gets tested. <laughs> <laughs> but you obviously have done well for, for, for yourself coming out of, of 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 that and still still going strong. I mean, let's I talk about your... I live in complete delusion that it's still 1991. <laughs> so don't even... I'm just, yeah, I'm just waiting for the call sheet to go on the next big set. What? No? no? Tomorrow? Okay, cool. My agent call? So I love, love it. I have fun. I'm here in L.A. Um, really, for me, it's, and I said this at my birthday last year, um, what went right? I mean, I'm yes, I'm very happy. I, uh, I owe a lot of it to my wife, uh, Pinky, uh, who, for helping me also with perspective on look what you've got and you know your fans and these films that you've done. And I'm like, yeah, I am absolutely grateful for those. And especially to the producers, casting directors, and directors that gave me those chances. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and those films will always stay. I mean, they were big films that, that, that you've done. You know, they're going to, you know, they're going to always be, be there. So let's talk about your, your fans because, 
your fans are fantastic. I mean, uh, you 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 do conventions. Um, unfortunately, conventions aren't happening anymore. Um, they're on like, pause. Yeah, they're on they're on pause. But 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 the thing is, for me, is when they come back, are they going to be the same? I mean, you see footage of people taking photographs with stars, and they've got a big sheet between them, and they're stood side by side, and that makes 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 my heart sort of a bit sad because it is taken away uh-huh. from what the it is it is, and I suppose we've got to adapt and we've got to you know, to get these conventions going. But what I wanted to ask is, what do you like about doing conventions? Oh, uh, that is it, the fan interaction. Um, I also, I am a fanboy, so whenever I go to a convention, there's inevitably another star or pop culture icon or creator that I'm just, I need to meet. I need to tell them how much I love it. And I wind up parroting what fans tell me. I grew up on this. It's part of my childhood. You don't understand. <laughs> and uh, so I, I do, I do understand. And that's why I, I, I just, we just love doing Pinky and I always go together. She's my booth babe and she'll help anybody get what they need. I love somebody came up and goes, does Keith do meet and greets? Meaning just say hi, like, no money changing hands, no autographs or selfies. Of course, come up to the table. We'll also, we're great at sales and we will talk you into buying something. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is the selfie thing is also um, not everybody gets one or asks for one, uh, even pre pandemic. A percentage mm. of people want a selfie, maybe an autograph and a selfie. Um, uh, uh, so, but there's also the professional photos there's table selfies and then there's the professionally taken in front of a backdrop with the celeb um and those celebrities can choose not to do table selfies and only do the professional ones or vice versa whatever so it is just gonna adapt i mean you talk to somebody for a minute at the table and you go you 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 got covid no i got i got a test yet i'm not i don't have covid you have covid let's take a selfie hold your breath i don't know (laughs) Bless you. I mean, you mentioned that you like going to these conventions. Uh, um, you know, what one star have you got really starstruck seeing, you know, what? that you think's fantastic? Oh, I can't. I, I The Goot. Steve Gutenberg is a fantastic and fun <gasps> human being. And he has been on my show, um, which is he, he was awesome to chat, chat chat with. So laid back and obviously Police Academy for me. Again, one of the films of the 80s. Absolutely amazing. Really, Cocoon. really is. Uh, three Men and, and a Baby. Oh, oh God. So many great films. Do you know what? My little, little girl, every single night I used to sing to her, Good Night, Sweetheart. You know the song that they sing in Three, yes. three Men and a Baby? I used to sing that to my little girl every single night to get her to sleep. But now it doesn't work because she's too old. She's seven year, year, years old. She knows the score now. Um, so, and, and at these conventions, who, who do you get recognised for the most? Like, in which role do they ask you to sign for? Oh, uh, it usually sticks to the, um, uh, the babysitting films uh, and uh, Fox and the Hound. Uh, I had a gentleman come up to my table and for some reason we didn't have the toy soldier stuff out and somebody goes, you know, nobody's going to recognize you unless you have toy soldiers out. So it's different for everybody. Some people come up and go book of love is my jam. And I'm like, you saw it. Thank you. Um, (laughs) It's very subjective. So we just try to put a lot of options out there. And uh, it, uh, I, I, you know, it's babysitting both, 
babysitting films. And sometimes it's tough for people and they're on a budget. So my wife came up with a great idea. Why don't you make an eight by 10 that's got both posters and then you could sign them both and for one price. And um, that's a popular item. <laughs> it is. And let's let, let's talk about that picture because you've got a website that obviously with the lack of conventions at the moment, if people are, are looking for that, you know, autographed picture, they can go on your official yes. website. Yes. And I have been having a uh, kind of 2021 sale. Um, you could go to keithcooganonline.com and just look merchandise or autographs. Uh, I do have a big cartel site is where I'm doing the merchandising. So um, autographs are available through there. I can uh, make it out to you or put a quote. There's a notes field when you order it for this last week. It has been, I was running a special, it's been a virtual convention. Um, I just do miss that face to face though with uh, fans. But if you'd like an autograph, uh, go ahead and go to Keith Coogan online.com and, uh, and check it out. Horrible shipping rates to the UK, but <laughs> do you know what? I'm used, used to that. So yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's not even a pound above my actual costs. So it's fair. It just, you'll look at it and go, Oh, what a cheap autograph. Oh God, look at the shipping. So it was tough to do international shipping at all. So, yeah. um, and I did build the site and programmed and did the whole thing. And uh, my no, wife and I awesome. do it all. No middleman in that for the autograph. Mm -hmm. And you're also on cameo as well, which I think is an awesome way of giving someone a gift for, for Valentine's maybe, maybe coming up. Cameo is a great idea. Uh, previously on my website, I had been offering voicemail messages for 20 bucks. Have Keith Coogan do the dishes or dying man on voicemail or whatever. And oftentimes they just pick up and you wind up talking to the fan or whoever it's been gifted to. Um, and cameo though, what a great idea. Uh, you know, instant direct. Uh, I've never been asked to say or do anything that, you know, is too strange or crazy. I've had ones where I had to ask, are you sure you want me to say this to this other person? Like <laughs> they're sending a message to somebody else and they go, Oh no. Yeah, it's okay. You know, do it. I'm like, all right. Um, so it is, uh, it's fantastic. I love cameo. Super fun. Yeah. I mean, you do see stars on, on, on their charging stupid amounts. You really do like four or $500, which I think yeah. is just crazy. That's a lot. It really That's is. A lot. But I yeah, I'm, I have a very modest price, and I'm a total whore. I will quote whatever you want, or do whatever <laughs> voice, or yeah, I will dance, monkey dance, no problem. <laughs> and and would you uh, consider coming over to the UK once the conventions are all back up and running, and uh, this COVID we had one is done? We had one plan. We were going to go to uh, uh, Edinburgh and um, kind of hit. Um, as much as we could around uh, y'all's parts, but uh, obviously uh, things were pushed. So yes, we are still planning on that. Um, I've been actually in this last week, uh, had a really great response for the autographs to UK uh, and Australia, but uh, UK uh, for several years, there's been a couple of conventions we've had our eyes on. And the best way to get me out there to them is to email those conventions and request me as a guest. Eventually, they're going to get tired of hearing and they'll go, fine, we'll bring them out as a guest. <laughs> It'll be awesome to meet, meet, meet you in real life. And I'll make sure that I've had my COVID test 
before meeting you <laughs> so we can have a selfie. But, uh, Keith, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Look after yourself. Keep safe. Say hello to the wife for, for, for me and, and thank her for giving me you for a while and enjoy your coffee. Brian, thank you so much. Great, great questions. Very fun interview. And uh, uh, be more super, man. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. My world, it means hope.